This is Breaking Space, a podcast where we dig into the obstacles and solutions to diversifying leadership in the architecture, engineering, construction, and real estate development industries. My name is Rebecca Sorbera, and I am the host of Breaking Space podcast. I have over 18 years in the engineering and real estate development industries, and in that time, I've seen lots of really great advancements and improvements, but also very little movement in the number of women in leadership positions particularly senior leadership. This podcast aims to break open the reasons behind the lack of diversity in those industries and tries to start a dialogue on how companies can attract, retain, and promote more women and also more diversity-seeking groups within their organizations. I invite you to join me each episode as we dig in and learn together. This week's episode was originally recorded in the beginning of May 2021 and with the original intention of airing it as part of our first season of Breaking Space. The original air date was right around the same time that I was launching a new company, um, a new project management company called Monsera Project Solutions. And that really took up a lot more time uh, than I anticipated. And I wasn't able to put out this final episode for season one. So I am sharing it with you all here as the first season Uh, as the first episode of season two. Uh, Before we jump into that, I just want to make a few announcements about some changes in the podcast. Um, We no longer have a co-host, so I am hosting these episodes solo for this season. Uh, We are, I am on the lookout for some guest co-hosts. So if you're somebody who would love to be on the podcast and help to maybe interview or uh, be part of the discussions around the interview topics, I would love to hear from you on Instagram or LinkedIn or email. We're also always on the lookout for organizations to help promote breaking space. Uh, Some of that might be in the form of newsletters, you know, social media shout outs, partnerships, anything that you think might help us get the word out about this podcast to people who could be helped by it. Around the same time that this episode would have aired, I was in the middle of launching Monsera Project Solutions, which is a multi- multifaceted project management service provider for uh, new and existing construction buildings. And um, that ate up a lot more of my time than anticipated, and I wasn't able to share this episode as part of season one. So I'm sharing it with you all here as part of season two. Before we jump into that, just a couple of announcements. Uh, You may have noticed I'm solo today, and that is going to be the new format for Breaking Space for this season. Uh, However, I am on the lookout for guest hosts. If you feel like you would love to join me on the show to discuss some of these topics or discuss some of the interviews, Uh, please reach out to me on Instagram, LinkedIn, or email. We are also really looking to increase the reach of our podcast. And if you have any ideas about newsletters, social media shoutouts, partnerships, or organizations that we could collaborate with in order to get this out to more people, please let us know. So for today's episode, our guest is Adeline Huynh. She has over 15 years of leadership in the field of equity, diversity, and inclusion, and has worked in large public sector organizations and private sector businesses to bring about culture shift. I had a really great conversation with Adeline. She had some great talking points 
And uh, I'm excited for you all to hear about it. So let's dig into that. Hi, Adeline. Thanks for joining me today on Breaking Space. Well, great to be here. I'm so happy that you invited me. So can you tell me a little bit? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're good. Sorry about that. You're good. Yeah, no, we're we're going. This is like, this is like the, yeah, we're good. Okay. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit about the Commons Consulting and what what you guys are all about and, um, you know, what, what you're bringing to this space? Absolutely. So we're a diversity, equity and inclusion or DEI strategy firm. So what we do is we bring in many a decades of uh, leadership and experience in doing organizational change, very focused on, you know, bringing in equity and inclusion into workplaces. Uh, And so we just Yeah, we offer uh, different types of services from coming in to do like an organizational audit or organization assessment to building out like learning um, and development programs to doing leadership coaching um, and, and, you know, and a variety of uh, services like that. Great. That's that sounds fantastic. I'm sure you're you're pretty busy with all of that uh, in the current landscape <laughs> yes. of, uh, of of organizational change and everything that's going mm. on. Uh, so you know, breaking space. Uh, we're sort of looking at leadership and the lack of diversity at that level. Um, even though, of course, you know, it's every, what we talk about um, on the podcast it hits all of the different levels, but um, it seems to me that there it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit different, the strategies um, and what has to happen for inclusion at the top and to, for, for companies to promote that um, they, they have to sort of go at it at a different way. What's, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think really most important is they need to do it really strategically with a clear plan in mind. And that often means that they have to have an understanding of their, like the climate, the, the, the culture and the people in their organization. And cause it's not as a one size fits all, you know, so they can't go, Hey, you know, I saw this happening in company X and feel like they could deliver the exact same thing um, and have the same results. Um, and I think too often too, I think I see people taking almost like a piecemeal kind of approach to it where they go, okay, well, what's missing is uh, representation of, say, women or women of color in leadership uh, roles. So what we'll do is we'll go hire this one person and she'll be the only woman there in the boardroom or in the those to- tokenism. Like, yes, exactly. And they think, there, we've done it, right? And now our demographic data will look a little different and that somehow will make change. And so I would say that approach is very problematic. And it usually, I would say, just opens up like the Pandora's box. Um, and it doesn't set up that one person, that one token to do well and succeed, uh, you know, in the organization. And instead, what I would recommend is that they take a step back and they they approach this idea of inclusion really more like holistically look at the and take the time to do like an, a larger org assessment or an audit of their organization and listen to their people and get an understanding of okay what is working really well because i i am sure at every organization they're doing some things well in in terms of inclusion uh, and then what is it, what are the areas where there are gaps where we haven't done anything or we're not doing it well and and definitely listen to our people, especially the people who are 
currently not as well represented. You know, sometimes we call them, you know, uh, minority people or people who are part of equity seeking groups, you know, you might, they, in your company, it might be different than the, like another company, right? It could be the lack of women. It could be lack of people of color, lack of black people, indigenous representation. It could be lack of LGBTQ representation. It could be um, a lack of people with different types of abilities, like the, you know, the disability community or neurodiverse community. So we don't know, and every company is going to be different. So you need to be sort of um, designing these types of organizational assessments um, for your company. And then I would, and <laughs> this is not just to promote what my company does, but I would, re- I would recommend getting somebody external to do it because people get nervous when internal folks, HR and other folks start asking them a bunch of questions, especially right. around sensitive issues like your identity and and how what's your experience in the workplace right now you, you should you won't I, I don't expect you to get a lot of honest transparent answers if it's people feel that their jobs can be on the line or it's not confidential or the process isn't being led by somebody with a lot of experience in this area yeah it puts like a different uh, filter on it when it's absolutely. somebody in, t- in like internal yeah. to the company who's doing it yeah yeah and unfortunately hr is often aligned with like the you know, the priorities of the business of the organization, right? Versus of necessarily of the people, even though that's unfortunate, but I feel like that's a common um, relationship the HR may have with a lot of their, you know, with their organization. And um, and so, yeah, that's why I think somebody external would be very, very helpful. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so what are you, you you're saying strategy is really the key. Mm-hmm. So what are some some strategies um, to promote inclusion, you know, throughout the company, but also to promote inclusion at the at the leadership level? Sure. And I mean, like I said, too, it, it could be I'm definitely not about a one size fits all. But I can tell you from doing this work for quite a while and working with a lot of different types of organizations, some, I guess, themes that I've seen pop up. Um, and so uh, I think a, a really good strategy is often um, think like incorporating and having like a DEI plan for your organization that is really integrated with your own, like with the strategic plan of your organization. Uh, and, and and making sure too that you resource it, so it's not about like um, expecting people to do work on the uh, off the side of their desks. It's not expecting say women to take on the work because you know they've identified that there's a gap, a gender gap, and now why don't we ask the three women that work in our engineering department to now like take on this work um, to you know to um, you know to change that. Right. But instead, it's about making sure there is resources, this money uh, that people who are interested in this type of work are then then that's incorporated into their role. Uh, So it's not like extra bonus or it's not like we put that extra labor on them. So we call that like extra emotional labor that's often put on people who are already underrepresented to like then it's a it's a bit around tokenism, too, because then we expect that they're the experts and they'll do the work. (laughs) <laughs> to make their situation better and the and the situation better for th- those to follow. So that's not really fair uh, to do that either. Um, and so I really believe that you should put your money where your mouth is and that it shouldn't just be a line item in, you know, your, your annual budget because 
that's often the thing that gets axed as soon as, you know, profits go down or, you know, so to really integrate it, you, I would say you need like budget line items in HR, budget line items in, um, you know, learning and development, budget line items in leadership and in hiring and, and just really, really integrate it and just make it a part of the DNA of your, of your business really. Right. Because um, it really, yeah, it really is. It really does touch on all of those. It's not yes. just for, for, like you said, not just for HR to, to look mm-hmm. after or um, just for, you know, hiring a, a diversity manager. And then that's the one person who, yeah, who that's is responsible for everything. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. a, that's like a huge, a huge job because it's about changing the whole organization. And so you really need um, like, you need, you need more than just leadership buy-in. You need um, leadership to be moving things forward. To and champion, to, like to champion yeah, and, and be exactly. supporting it all. Yeah. yeah. And in a very visible way. And they need to actually be doing work. Like it needs to be part of their role, like in their responsibilities. Right. right. So that yeah. it doesn't, we just don't want to pull them up to make a speech, you know, at the at the diversity, you know, meeting or something like that. Um, we need them to be part of those committees and helping to like drive everything forward, for sure. And that's probably the same for you know for any organizational change um, that a company mm-hmm. is looking to make. The leadership really has to be the ones who are piloting it. Even if they aren't doing all of the pieces, you know, or or aren't the only ones doing the pieces, they really have to be, be, um, be, be like modeling it in a way too. Right. Exactly. And then, and and they need to be like listening to their experts. Right. So, uh, because that's important too, because, you know, you can't expect them to have all the answers because often, you know, in most companies, they're not going to be the ones with the lived experience. Uh, you know, th- you know, and they're also, um, they also need to be able to really bring their people along. So I think a really good, like a change management plan and a really, really mm-hmm. robust communications plan is so important because, mm-hmm. because this work is about change and people aren't always so good at change, right? Well, um, change is hard. It's hard. Yeah. And stressful yeah. and there's tensions. And so you need to be able to address all of that. Uh, and I think too, like the companies that I see, um, implementing change um, in the most positive ways and getting like the most, you know, R- ROI, you know, on their, the what they invested in their work are the ones that are cultivating like cultures that are super transparent and where they are able to have these difficult conversations because that's what's mm-hmm. going to bubble up. So, you know, you might have been reading or seen stuff around, I think, Basecamp. <laughs> Like, have yes. you heard of that? They're a tech company, right? They do, yes. Like project management technologies. And, yes. They right? have a project management platform. Yeah. Yeah. A platform. And they recently put out that they will no longer be, have, they will no longer allow any of their employees to talk about any political or social issues. And then what they saw was a huge um, turnover of staff. Like a lot of people have left because- it just, I think it just shows decision-making that is really top-down and not, and really sort of out of sync with what's happening in the world around them because it, it, it has, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, um, 
if you're, you know, the leadership trying to dictate the culture of a company, but isn't mm-hmm. it the employees who should dictate the culture? Yes, exactly. Or it's like yeah. co-create it together for sure, but don't make, yeah. and also like for folks who, like for some people say a, a discussion about Black Lives Matter may just be that, a discussion, a very like intellectual, theoretical discussion. But for some people, it's their lives, it's their loved ones, you know, it's uh, it's like impacting them in a really real um way and and it has so many impacts on the way that people work and bring themselves to work and so i think a discussion like so how are you going to ask somebody to not bring in their family and not bring in you know their emotional well-being (laughs) into a workplace so it doesn't really make sense to me at all and so i think that was a big misstep um but uh, yeah anyway and there's so many like yeah i think i see well-meaning companies um making like I, this is what i think it's a it's a it's well-meaning leadership who notice that these types of conversations can be divisive and polarizing so instead of equipping their people with the ability and the skills to have these conversations in really generative and productive ways that actually can really build culture they decide to just ax it you know it's almost like a being like an authoritarian state <laughs> you know and saying, yeah yeah like, trying to control their people right because yeah it's a very like bandage solution okay so we're having issues because we're not talking you know we're having arguments so let's just tell everybody they're not allowed to talk with these things instead instead of looking at the root cause right yeah <laughs> and just like pretend like it's not happening essentially yeah exactly it's like color blindness too like oh i don't see racism so you know it must not exist (laughs) right (laughs) something like that right (laughs) so you talk about transparency um and playing into that is is sort of the pay transparency or like Mm -hmm. salary transparency that some companies Mm -hmm. are sort of now taking on and and um making as part of their you know their policies uh what, what are your thoughts on that yeah, that's I, I I think in general, pay transparency is a good practice. And I think there's a lot of research to back that, um, generally speaking, uh, because, you know, I, there's been some studies done where they've looked at companies that have started uh, publishing salaries online. Uh, and, and that enables people to really see uh, pay gaps, especially like gender pay gaps, but there's also the race pay gap. Or even just like if you want to call it intersectional pay gaps, because you'll see that, say, women, women of color in particular get paid the least. But you'll probably also see amongst men that there's a discrepancy there, too, depending if they're white or person of color or, uh, and other other things, too. So I think generally it's been positive in terms of being able to um, bring that to people's attention, um, because if you can't see a problem, then, you know, you often then can't then come up with solutions for it mm-hmm. so i think that in that way it's good but i know i but i really like i said i don't think there's one size that fits all and i think that shouldn't be maybe the first thing you do in terms of your like your inclusion efforts or strategies i think if it's part of a larger strategy of organizational change that could like be really really positive but i think if that's the only thing you do and you don't actually um consult with your, you know, your employees to gauge comfort level around it. And you don't anticipate that there will be tensions around that or conflict or other things that you may not anticipate, then it's probably not something you should do right off the bat. 
But certainly if you've taken the time to do your organizational audit or assessment and that has bubbled up and has been identified by, you know, your your staff that that is an issue they would like to see addressed and then that is one strategy to address that, then yes, definitely. Otherwise, I think it needs some setup for sure. Mm-hmm. And commun- it needs to be communicated and people have to understand why you're doing that. And you have to understand why you're doing that. And and usually people should have an opt-out too because, be, you know, we, we can't anticipate why some people will say no to wanting their salaries to be um, shared and posted. Um because it could be really, you know, it could be just because they realize that it'll really showcase disparity and they're like part of the haves versus the have not. That might be some of it, but it might be other reasons that we can't anticipate that could cause more harm to a person who already has um, a lot of barriers, right, to getting to where they are. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, without really knowing how it'll impact people, I wouldn't just go ahead and implement things like that. It, it sounds like, it, yeah, it's it's part of a, a larger strategy and, and mm-hmm. companies who are doing it seem like they do have, um, you know, like a lot of policies around how they're setting wages and mm-hmm. why people are getting paid, you know, a certain amount based on, um, you know, their location or their experience. Right. And they have some kind of calculations, which yes. makes it less... Uh, you know, less questionable. Why am I making this? And that other person is making that. It's sort of even the, even why the salaries are what they are Mm -hmm. is transparent. Yeah. Yeah. So it's part of a bigger strategy. Yeah, exactly. And I would even encourage like that type of like salary matrix to be put together even before the publishing of salaries. Like I think it's so important to be very transparent and and, and strategic about how you set salaries. And that way it'll mitigate things like, you know, salaries based on like uh, bias, like unconscious bias or conscious bias or like the old boys club and things like that. Because you'll find that like often salaries are set higher for folks who, you know, who you have a relationship with or who you somehow see yourself in. Uh, and those are the people that get promoted to. Um, and there's so much you know, when there is not as like a strategic way to set salary, there is so many opportunities for bias to creep in there. Um, and then you'll also, or if you just um, set salaries based on a person's ability to negotiate that salary, that is not just and not equitable, right? Because like studies have shown women will less likely negotiate higher salaries for themselves. Um, they'll less likely even go for positions if they don't see um, that they have like 80 or 90% of the, you know, the ask for credentials when versus men who will still go for a job, they maybe have 60%. And then men too have been socialized to negotiate their for their value more than women have. And then there's also cultural differences too. There's many cultures that will, they will not even enter into that type of negotiation because it's so, so foreign or uncomfortable for them. And for right. those and, reasons- and, and there's some cultures mm, who are, who are, you know, fantastic at it. Like that's yes, something yes. that they, that is really yes, a part exactly. of their culture. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or even a, maybe it's a, or maybe it's even a personality trait. Like why should somebody who's good at arguing or making a case be paid more than somebody with the exact same skill set, education, credentials, or even may even have more, <laughs> you know, experience. Yeah. And why should they be paid less because they didn't have that negotiating skill? Or, right. You know. Yeah. So there's absolutely. so much. Yeah. So I mean, I, I, I'm 
I'm 100% behind salary matrices matrices, and and hiring matrix too, so that, you know, you could kind of mitigate bias when it comes to hiring too, because there's lots. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I think, I guess one of the reasons why, um, why I brought that up was because in some of my conversations with, with women in leadership roles, like in, in construction and engineering, they, they, they wonder, they're like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if I, I don't think I'm getting paid the same. Like, I think that, I think that I'm not, you know, I'm not being mm-hmm. compensated fairly, but they, they just, even yeah. ones who are maybe, um, at the top or, or sometimes they do know and they're still not. <laughs> Right. So there's part of that transparency, too, is they they know they're not being compensated the same, but that's just the, you know, they Mm -hmm. they aren't really allowed to say anything. Right. And I think there's even been cases where you'll find that a woman in a senior position may be paid at the same rate or even lower than somebody in a junior position because of things like that initial salary negotiation, um, you know, process. And also, too, like for women in lots of industries where they're like the only ones or the the first ones, they don't have those networks of people to talk to, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Because that's huge too, is to get an idea of how much I'd be asking for. You can always go to your mentors or other people that you know in similar positions, but if there are nobody, if there's nobody in those positions before, then who do you ask and who do you talk to? And I happen to know that some companies like to hire women because they know that they'll be off the bat saving uh, money on the salary at the on the salary end because they'll they know they're going to go in offering less. They'll never admit it, but I, I I've I've heard the talks and you know I know that that exists. Yeah, and and um and sometimes you know a lot of like the salary conversation or negotiation starts with well what were you making at yes in your last role yeah. or what are you making yeah. now and and yeah. if women are already being underpaid then they're just mm-hmm. continue like it just continues yeah that. just replicating it right yeah yeah exactly. Uh, yeah. And then I know that there's like, people have talked about this idea of the diversity debt, I think. Um, because, and like, because in so many companies, because for so long, only men were represented and, 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 and particular type of man too, sometimes like, you know, maybe a man who's white, a man who went to an Ivy League university or a certain type of university and has a certain type of experience have been long, long um, represented at, in leadership positions. Uh, and and so along the way, they've began earning a lot more. And so you're going to, yeah, and it, so it's going to take a long time for for that to be evened out, especially if we're basing, um, you know, women's salaries on, uh, yeah, former what they earned before or what they're able to like negotiate because, you know, they just don't know, they don't have a template in front of them. Uh, so anyway, he, the, I, and there's, I think there's so much that, in a, that you can do strategically to bridge that in a much quicker way than waiting for women to start earning more because they're in those higher positions for like a, an amount of time. Mm-hmm. But some of that is what it's going to take. It's just like for you to reach a leadership level, you need to be able to have been in certain positions for a number of years. And if, you know, if people are only starting to hire women now into like, it, it's just like, it's just, yeah. Yeah. The it's pipeline kind of complicated like that too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, so and why? Huge... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh no. Go... I was going to talk just a little bit more about the pipeline in terms of like how important it is to have like, um, 
a process or program around mentorship and succession planning too, to make sure that once you hired more diverse people into your organization, that they thrive and do well. Because I think sometimes it's like, let's just hire those numbers in because it's almost like a performative type of diversity so that we can see that all these faces that looking back at us that are like diverse, but then you don't have a plan in terms of like, how are we going to make sure that, you know, they do well in a culture that's been predominantly male or predominantly white or predominantly like, you know, uh, neurotypical or whatever it is. Right. Um, because, you know, because people won't be moving down that pipe very quickly if you don't make changes to it because that pipe was built by to, um, to benefit a certain type of person for a long, long time. Right. So you can't just hire in the people you need to actually change structures uh, and so looking at mentorship, promotion, succession, that's just as important as looking at hiring and recruiting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, kind of building on that, um, you know, why should companies look at implementing these strategies? What is the benefit of inclusion? Right. Well, you know, like, I feel like there's, I think the, I, there's like three most common arguments for inclusion and diversity uh, that revolve around, well, I think the most common one that people talk about the most is the business case these days, uh, which is like, if you do look at the stats and you look at the numbers, um, organizations that are more diverse tend to be more innovative. They tend to lose, you know, their revolving door is, um, you know, smaller, I guess, (laughs) people tend to stay up, you know, uh, people who are happy, uh, and have a, you know, a culture that supports diversity tends to have just a culture that supports everyone, you know, if I mean, and, Mm -hmm. and then they, you know, employees tend to stick around longer, but not just stick around, but to do better work. You know, you don't have like presentism, you don't have absenteeism. We also know Belonging is very connected to uh, mental health and well-being. And so you have less people sick and away and ill on um, um, taking leaves. Uh, but then, you know, there's also too, um, you know, teams tend to be more innovative. They are able to connect to the um to the, you know, whoever is the client base or the, you know, uh, the or the customer base uh, more, you know. Um, they have that ability to do that. And, and often you do want, and, you know, and more and more people like consumers are asking to, to see themselves represented, right. In a company and especially mm-hmm. in leadership. Right. And there, there are people are more and more, um, let's just say putting their dollar, um, where their values and principles lie. Uh, and I think it's a huge thing with millennial consumer bases, but also, what, whoever comes after millennials, <laughs> Generation Z or post-millennials or whoever, um, there's been a lot of articles written about how they would rather spend money on, you know, you know, spend money on products made by a company that they feel aligns with their values. So there's this. So that's why I think that the because this is probably the second most popular argument for diversity and inclusion is probably the values based one. And I feel like, you know, because it's the right thing to do kind of argument, but I think more and more the right thing to do is also like the smart thing to do in terms of like, if you're, if you're concerned, if you're thinking about things like profit and, 
<laughs> and yeah. you know, company and growth and things like those things are like, I think really, really connected now. So you don't even have to separate them. So it's great. It's like the right thing to do is also the, the thing, the, you know, the six, like the thing to do to be more successful as well. Yeah. There's also a third argument that I feel is maybe less, um, that people take up a little bit less because I think it's based more in the, the stick versus the carrot, but which is like the, there's like the human rights and legal obligation kind of argument, because that's true too, especially in a country like Canada, you know, we've got the Canadian human rights. Um, we, you know, we've got different legislations and policies that encourage us um, to be more diverse and to be more inclusive. And, and then there's always the fear of like, you know, lawsuits or, you know, or having a, um, you know, a employee, employee base that aren't mentally or physically well and things like that. So there's that, like, so that's more of the, almost like the stick argument, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like do it so that you can mitigate like potential, you know, loss of business or something like that. But, um, but I think there's plenty of arguments based on like the business case and values, I think that are really strong. Yeah. And the challenge really is to, to, to be doing it for companies to be, you know, to be, implementing these strategies in a way, like you said at the beginning, that are holistic, that fit the company culture, or mm-hmm. that, you know, goes, goes, um, goes with what the, the, the current employees are, are looking for, and really takes that into account. And, um, you, you know, going against tokenism, um, mm-hmm. because like exactly. you said, you know, companies might want to say, okay, we, we, we want to look diverse, because mm-hmm. that's good for our, you know, our, our brand. Um, mm-hmm. But, but it's, you know, it's, uh, t- to me, I think it's pretty obvious when, when a company is is sort of going after that, um, or if they're, you know, they're trying to look diverse, but they're not really mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. supporting it or championing it yeah. from, from the upper levels. And, and if yeah. I'm, if I'm looking to work with a company or work for a company, the first thing I do is look to see who their leadership is. And, Exactly. If it's if 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 it doesn't look diverse, or if there's the one, you know, the one token um, mm-hmm. woman, uh, I'm kind of like uh, the red flags mm-hmm. go up because I just really wonder like why mm-hmm. why they they couldn't find you know more more yeah. diversity um, right. throughout all of these years. It's not we're not in the '60s where there was no women. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. <laughs> people still do use that as an argument. They say, oh, there's just not enough women in the pipeline. But, you know, you brought it up before, like, that's, that's not the, that's not the, the yeah. diversity seekers fault. It's the system. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. And it's usually the pipeline's fault. Like, what kind of pipeline did you build? <laughs> you know, yes. is the pipeline only attached to like, you know, one community of people to be able to access, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, too, I would also say, like, this day and age too, there's just so many ways for pr- prospective um, employees to find out the truth about your company culture, you know, that goes beyond the website or what you want to put out there in terms of your brand. Um, because there's like, not only is there like Glassdoor and things like that, where people are like posting their experiences, but also like, if you notice like during um, when the Black Lives Matter movement was really, uh, well, it's still going, but when, you know, there was an upsurge in in those types of, you know, media attention and social media attention. And then you saw companies putting out statements or posting the black square on social media. And then like 
how many of them then gone and got called out by folks who are like, hold on. So you're saying this and you're putting that out there as part of your company brand. But then I'm, you know, a person that worked for you and had this experience. And so, you know, what you're saying doesn't match up with my experience of the workplace culture. And now people have so many ways of sharing that information yeah. with a broad masses. Uh, so, you know, so there, it really, really, really pays for you not to just think of um, diversity as a tokenism or performative kind of thing and more as need, a need to integrate that into culture because people are going to find out, right? It's pretty, like you said, even like it's pretty obvious even just doing a quick scan, let's say, of a website to see who's in leadership that tells a story. And then there's so many ways for people who know that culture really, really well to be like, you know, what they're putting out there isn't isn't accurate or it doesn't match up with like actually like people's experiences, right? Hmm. Hmm. Well, I think that's uh, a great place for us to to finish off for the day. Um, this was a really great conversation. I'm really uh, really happy that you could join me today on Breaking Space. Thank you so much for all of this information, and um, I you know this is this is great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, anytime. I really enjoy. I, I obviously I really enjoy talking about these topics. <laughs> uh, I'm sure. I'm sure we can connect again on uh, on something else. For sure. Thank okay. you. Okay. So, so just before we leave, um, what is the best way for our listeners to uh, get in touch with you if they want to contact you after the podcast? Well, I think email is probably best. You can contact me at um, info. So I N F O at thecommonsconsulting.com. So all one word. Or just go to my website. It's the best way. It's probably like if you just Google, you know, the commons consulting, um, it will come up and, and then you can contact us through the website as well. Great. Thank you Great. very much. Well, thanks again. If you like this episode of Breaking Space, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to be notified of future episodes. Connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn.